This is The A. I'm Reg Clay. And Norman G. This is The A, where we talk about life in the theater and the theater of life. Yay! As always, we are sponsored by Central Works, a new play theater headed up by Gary Graves and Jan Leifler. Central Works, reinventing theater one play at a time. As always, we want to thank Central Works for sponsoring the A. And we have a fantastic guest, someone that we both work with, Michael J. Ashbury. Uh, Michael, how are you doing, man? I'm doing well, man. Good to see you guys. Yeah. And you have worked, let me see, you've done SF Playground, Profile Theater, SF Mime Troupe, ACT, Lorraine Hansberry, the Tampa, the Tampa Repertory Theater, which I think is in Florida, unless right. there's another Tampa. Yep. You can ever, <laughs> yeah, whose team will be in the Super Bowl next week. So, uh, oh, really? but uh, Ben, you've been everywhere and you've been doing everything and you have that rich baritone voice. It's almost like Morgan Freeman. Um, <laughs> so you are, you are well, well, well known and we, we are dying to hear more about you. And uh, we were just talking off mic. So you're doing well in the life of COVID, huh? Yeah, I'm doing fine, man. Just uh, like I said, I'm sane. I'm healthy today. I'm happy today. I'm trying to get more work. I have some work coming up. So uh, all things considered, man, I'm, I'm, I feel blessed. Yeah, you'd be love to hear where you're getting work from. Damn. Yeah. Well, not... again, right to, it, one day at a time, Norman, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, you'll be working with um, Aurora. I think they're doing a um, with uh, Dominique Williams. I mean, right. What is the show called? The Blue... Bluest Eye. The Bluest Eye. Oh, the Bluest Eye, nice. Yeah, we're doing an adaptation of that, man, an audio play. That comes up. We start rehearsals um, in about two weeks. And uh, I think it will be available to listen to, I think, sometime in April, I believe. So, yeah. Yeah, that'll be nice. I'll be uh, pushing that. Norman, as I begin every podcast, how was your week? It's a big week. So January is always a crazy month for me because I'm usually broke for the last part of the year, just sort of getting by. And in recent years, I've gotten better at making sure I schedule enough work. If I don't have an actual December gig, I make sure that I got enough money coming in so I can get to the end of January. This is the first time where I did an excellent job of that. I'm, I'm a couple of months out and my bank account is finally starting to drop down a little bit. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm already paid through March. I've been taking care of bills. I'm like, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not getting caught this year. So, um, and the weirdest thing for me about January is I sit there going, I'm nervous. What am I going to do next? And then that's when everybody suddenly says, what about these dates? What about these dates? What about, so in the last week I have, my spring is set. <laughs> I have, I just got off of a call with Nueva, this school I teach at every spring um, and we've got that schedule set up. Uh, you know, Reg, I just got a sculpting gig that'll run the whole spring. So I haven't had a sculpting piece, a good sculpting piece done to me in a couple of years or so. Um, even then, the last couple of sets were kind of weak. So I'm looking forward to seeing if, you know, there's a few pieces I've posted on Facebook where people are like, wow, you have that? That's really great. And I'm like, no, I don't have it. <laughs> Somebody made it. <laughs> It's someplace. I don't know where it is. But uh, yeah, this spring I'll get to do that. And yeah, just the schedule has just packed. So I've gone from spending most of January with empty weeks to next week. It just starts to snowball and it'll keep snowballing. I'm always, I'm always envious of you of the hustle, you know, you, I mean, just hustle mentality of just getting the jobs and 
constantly hunting and all this. I mean, you know, for, for a guy like me who, who, you know, I know my paycheck was, is constant and it's been constant. Come February, it'll be 24 years that I've worked Woo! in the office. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. But I mean, just, I mean, if I, if I didn't have a day job, then I would have to be just constantly, you know, hustling for jobs or whatever. And, you know, you've been doing this for what, 30 years or so, and uh, you, you haven't lost a beat. So I quit my last regular day job in 98. Nice. And I have been scrambling ever since. It was such a joy. I did a series of shows. I did Cal Shakes that summer. Mm -hmm. So when I finished, I went, you know what? Let me try and apply for this unemployment thing. Unemployment actor. Bam. I was like, oh, it still freaked me out. But at least I was getting a check. That's right. Yeah, there you go. So there have been a couple of uh, current events, and I'll just run through uh, some of them. Um, Trey Songs, um, he is a, I guess he's a young rapper, and apparently he got arrested because he was at the AFC Championship game, which happened last week, last Sunday, for refusing to wear a mask. I mean, not only just refusing to wear a mask, but he fought with the police and got himself locked up. I mean, I'm amazed. And, of course, we hear about the alt-right folks who – you know, they, they have these conspiracy theories, but, you know, there are even folks within the black community who's like, oh, forget about that. So it's oh, pretty- a lot of people. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's sad. It's really, really crazy. Uh, Kellyanne Conway's daughter. I don't know if you heard the story. So is it Tiffany? Is that her name? I think so. And she had a picture, a nude picture of her leaked. No, apparently- wait a minute. Let me find this. <laughs> her mother. Oh, you want to look at the lewd pictures, huh? I'm going to tell Mara. <laughs> no, 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 just the news. Just in the news. That's, that's kind of where that came across. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But the thing is, Kellyanne Conway, imagine your mother outing you or slut-shaming you and posting your pictures out without your consent. Oh, no! Yeah, that's what happened. Because uh, so the Conways, as you probably know, George Conway, he is a liberal who right. never believed in the, you know, he didn't drink the Trump Kool-Aid. Of course, right. Kellyanne Conway is getting paid for drinking and distributing the Trump Kool-Aid. Yeah, and I guess the, uh, the daughter is, I guess, a liberal and I guess for punishment, maybe. Uh, I mean, this, that's just, it's, it's, it's astounding. Wow. It's, I mean, politics has gone really crazy. I mean, it's, you know, you hear about, AOC had threw um, Ted Cruz under the bus, basically saying, "Hey, you nearly got me killed." Right. I mean, it's 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 the policy. I don't think that's really- throwing somebody under the bus. Throwing you under the bus is when I'm supposed to be helping you, or you're supposed to be helping me, and then I roll over you. When you threaten me, I'm not throwing you under the bus. <laughs> I'm I'm calling you out. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Michael, do you have a a hot take on you know just what's happening with politics? Uh, I mean, how volatile things have been. I, don't know, I guess what it reinforces to me is how uninformed we are as a nation. And uh, it, it just, it's stunning how many people have these extreme views. Uh, for me, it's, it's actually stunning for me. But I have a friend, a dear friend that I went to college with who predicted all of this years ago. And he's not the only one. And it's just, uh, it's just, it's it's sad it's just sad that's the only take that i have on it. that it's sad it's disturbing and i'm trying to remain faithful and optimistic that people can distinguish between what is right and what is wrong and that's what i try to place my faith in because the rest of it logic and reason seems to be out the window 
Yeah, no, I think it's well said. And there was a guy, I think George Soros, I think he wrote a book back in the um, the 90s about retro versus metro America and how the nation was sort of dividing itself. And he wrote it during the Clinton administration where you had like Newt Gingrich and Contract for America and you had the Swift Boat Veterans, you know, when Kerry was running for uh, president. And so you had the, these little splinters of the, you know, right movement. But it's it's sort of, you know, it's just like a boiling pot, you know, like it was a simmer a couple of years ago. Now it's, you know, it's, it's reaching a sort of crescendo. Uh, and you just wonder, you know, when is it going to end? Here's a funny story. So Mike Pence, did you hear about the Mike Pence story? Apparently mm -hmm. he's homeless. He doesn't have a home. He doesn't have a house. Oh, he was. So I was I was watching the Colbert report and I was like, no, this has to be fake. But no, it's real. So he um, of course, he had so much faith and you know how he's a, uh, a fundamental Christian. So he put his faith in God and Trump that they were going to win reelection, that he didn't even bother looking for a home. And so when Biden won. <clears throat> he um, he's been couch surfing. He's been um, I think he stayed at the. Um, the home of the Minnesota, no, not Minnesota, um, the Ohio, is it Ohio? No, Indiana, the Indiana governor's house, because he was a former uh, a governor of Indiana, and they're looking to buy a home, and uh, I'm just amazed. I mean, it's, I'll just. I hope you were going to say they're just having trouble having anybody sell to them. Well, yeah, I think that may be a trouble, because, you know, that, okay, so it's happened. But Indiana loves him. I mean, a lot of people in Indiana love him. I don't love him. <laughs> Yeah. And the last thing, um, the Biden. OK, so Biden has a every time Biden gives a speech, there's usually a um, uh, a translator, ASL translator, you know, doing sign language mm -hmm. and the sign language interpreter that they had. Heather Menshaw is a Trump supporter and she has an alt right uh, Trump web page. And they, needless to say, when the Trump when the Biden administration found that they quickly got rid of her and got another ASL translator and. I mean, the, uh, the conspiracy theorists and the folks who are just on the far right, I mean, infiltrating the Biden administration and, you know, um, spreading lies to even folks who are deaf. That's scary. That is really, really scary. So that th those are the things that I have for current events. There's um, there's also uh, is the recall happening? Do we really oh, have to? Oh, the governor. The governor. Um, I haven't heard much news from that. I know they have to get a petition. I know they need to get. Um, I'm the not last sure how I many... heard was they were close to getting their number, and I hadn't heard anything since. Yeah, I hope not. I mean, Gavin Newsom, I, you know, he I don't I don't see him doing anything wrong. I mean, right. You know, I was reading uh, there's a news report. I guess uh, the folks were attacking the New York governor, uh, Andrew Cuomo, because there are some folks who are dying in the um, in um, old folks homes. And I don't see Andrew Cuomo as being the, the enemy. I don't see Gavin Newsom as being the enemy. But, right. of course, there are right-wing folks who are trying to instigate people and trying to spread news and trying to influence people and also the media into getting rid of these uh, folks. And um, it's crazy. No, I haven't heard anything about it, and I hope that I don't because um, there's nothing wrong with Gavin Newsom. I, I, you know, I think there may be some flaws, but he's, doing, he's trying to do the right thing. Hey, but on the other hand, we just got Arnold. So, you know, I mean, we got Arnold last time we had a recall. Well, yeah. That yeah. wasn't so bad. <laughs> yeah. You know, he gave a speech, uh, what was it, a week or so ago, basically uh, condemning the insurrection. And he yes. compared it to Conan. He actually had the Conan yes. he sword. Had the sword. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. You know, we're getting cogent, concise advice from the guy who did uh, Terminator. So it's a crazy world. <laughs>
With that said, let's get into an origin story. Michael Ashbery, how did you get involved in theater and um, where were you born and raised? Born and raised in uh, Pittsburgh, California, out in Contra Costa County. So I'm not too far from home right now. Um, how I got started in theater, um, I, well, my voice has sounded like this since I was young. My voice changed when I was really young. And so people kept saying, you know, you got a voice, you got to do something with that. And I said, okay, well, let me try. I want to be on the radio. I want to be a DJ. Oh. Tried that for a minute. And then the station that I worked for uh, disappeared, went out of business. And, um, and then uh, I said, well, I don't know what to do next. I'm just raising my family. And then I met a guy at my gym who was doing commercials and stuff. And so uh, I kind of jumped in his conversation and he was gracious enough to give me a lot of information and some contact names to reach out to. Uh, reached out, contacted a talent agent who started sending me out for on-camera audition. I had never acted in my life. Mm. So that how, was- how, how old were you? I was like 35. Mm. Something like that, 35, 36. Now, would this be in the 80s? I'm trying to get a timeline. <laughs> uh, no, that was that was in like the mid-90s. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, early, early I'm, I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Early, early to mid-90s. And Got so um, uh, I started to book some work. Um, didn't really know what I had no idea what I was doing, but I was I went anyway because I felt obligated because my agent was sending me on audition. And then as I started to get a little bit of work, I kind of liked it. So I said, I want to, I kind of want to be better at this. And everybody who I knew that was good had a theater background. And that's when I started auditioning for the stage. But that's kind of how I got started doing that. And that takes us back. I mean, that's, we, right. we must've met right around then. You, you were in the, you and I worked together on the second play that I ever did at uh, African ah. American School. That was my second play ever. Oh, uh, where where was that? What theater was that? Oh, African American uh, Shakespeare. Wow. It was in Oakland. Yep, at, at Mills College, Mills College uh, Theater, doing School for Scandal. Wow, that's fantastic! Yeah, and so he jumped into <clears throat> the classics right away. <laughs> well, Twelfth Night was my first. Oh, that was my first play. Twelfth Night uh, with who? That was with the uh, a little group that's no longer together called East Bay Actors Collective. Oh, and okay. uh, a gang of us got together, man, and um, we're doing. Uh, we did Twelfth Night, and we did it two days on campus outside at UC Berkeley, and then we did the weekends at Mosswood Park, and so uh, that was that was interesting. That was very very interesting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So now I'm off mic. We were talking about how, because I asked about your day job, and you were like, "No, no, no! I this is my thing. I, you know, you do. Uh, I imagine you are a professional actor. I mean, you know, this is how you get paid, right. um, and that's." You know, for someone who doesn't have any uh, formal training, that is really, really good. I mean, people want to know, wow, how do I get to be an actor without, you know, having to go to school or, you know, without even needing a day job? Um, so how, I mean, so you got your agent and um, did you, I mean, I know that you didn't go to school for acting, but did you eventually have some sort of training uh, at all? I took workshops here and there. Now, now, just to be clear, I was working full time when I started. And I worked full time up until 2009. And that's when I left my regular day job to act nice. full time. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, well, I've, I've taken workshops here and there, but I have not had any any formal training. I didn't go to school. 
-hmm. I didn't uh, train under, you know, any of the Stella Adlers. I didn't do any of that. I just um, mm -hmm. dove in yeah. here first. Yeah. And, and it sounds, and uh, sounds like you didn't need it. Yeah. It sounds like, you know, you've been, you've been doing just fine. Well, you know, so far so good. You know, I'm still trying to climb. I'm still hungry. So, you know, we'll see. <laughs> right. <laughs> do you have any uh, siblings, brothers, sisters? I do. I have, uh, uh, man, stepbrothers. I have sisters. Uh, no sisters, but I have all brothers. I have a stepsister. Uh, two stepbrothers, uh, three uh, blood brothers. One of my brothers passed away. I uh, had a heart attack um, at 48. And he's actually oh. my acting inspiration. He was the artist of the family. He could draw. He wrote poetry. He could sing. He um, told jokes and stories, and and just he was he was the gifted one. And everything I do, I attribute to him. And um, what's his name? He's the inspiration. What's his name? Ricky. Ricky Asbury. Right on. Nice. You know, just as you were talking, I was thinking about how I grew up. And I think all of us are, well, Norman, you're 10 years older than me. I'm, Michael, I think that you and I may be, I'm 51 years old. I'll be 52. I was and, 51, 51 years ago. So yeah. <laughs> but uh, growing up in, growing up on the East Coast in Washington, D.C., and, and it was Chocolate City, yeah. uh, we were infused by, you know, just uh, being- South, Southeast? No, I stayed away from Southeast. That was dangerous. Uh, Northwest. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> For folks who don't know, Southeast DC actually is cleaned up now, but uh, back in the 70s, yeah. it was as if um, the Tenderloin were maybe three times as big yeah, and just as dangerous. From, I got friends yeah. from Southeast, so I know a little bit about that. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I stay. I, I grew up in the Petworth section. That's Northwest DC. But okay. there was a there was an inspiration of being proud to be black. Uh, you know, all of the teachers were uh, were black, and you know, we learned about, you know, just our, our history, and there was roots, and there was a strong black presence, and so we had that growing up. I never knew what it was growing up being black on the West Coast in 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 Berkeley. I mean, I imagine there was a lot of the the Black Panther movement, that sort of stuff going on. But how was it growing up um, on the West Coast? Uh, well, there was racial tension for sure, but there there was also those racial awareness. Uh, I remember um, being from Pittsburgh, which was a really small town then. It's much bigger now than it was when I was growing up there. But what I would do is in the summertime as a kid. I worked my uh, NYC neighborhood youth corps job, and I would take Bart to Oakland to uh, to buy my school clothes. And so I remember I would come over to Oakland, and as soon as I would get off the train, the Panthers were right there on the corner. They were like mm. selling newspapers, and I'd see the, uh, the the Nation of Islam on the other corner. It was a visible, distinct presence that was there. So the awareness was there. And, but there was racial tension uh, everywhere you went. I remember I, I grew up in Pittsburgh, Antioch was uh, the neighboring city and it was literally like, like night and day. There was tons of racial tension. Matter of fact, my sophomore year, we played against uh, Antioch High School, um, our rivals, and there was a brawl, a melee that happened during our game where from that moment on, all of our basketball games had to be played uh, during the day. They wouldn't let us play any more night games. Wow, wow, yeah. wow. And that was black on black violence or just uh, uh, Antioch was a predominantly white school. Oh, I got it. I got it. I got it. Yeah. And yeah. So it was definitely racially charged. Do you think it's any more mixed now? It's definitely more mixed now. Okay. Definitely the mixed. And the reason I ask is um, I, there's a program I do and we're going to be, uh, I, I'm going to be teaching a spring workshop and um, they're wanting us to diversify our, you know, the folks that we're drawing in. And somebody mentioned Antioch, and I was like, mm -hmm. oh, 
okay, I don't know. I mean, we get Pittsburgh high, mm-hmm. but we don't get Antioch. Antioch is is much more uh, diverse now than it ever was. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. What, you know, I'm curious, what techniques, because a lot of the techniques that I've learned just as far as how to approach a script, how to, you know, you know, uh, deal with blocking and all that sort of stuff, I learned from school. I did learn a little bit from just actually being cast. But how did you, I mean, did you learn just on, you know, on stage, how to approach um, examining a script and let's say beats and how you memorize lines and things like that? Did you learn pretty much on stage? I learned everything on stage. Uh, the, the, the benefit to that, I think, well, I, I guess as I see it, the benefits that I had is one, that I was in my 30s when I started. So once I started to kind of hit my stride, I was already 40 years old. So I had lived a life. So I knew uh, there was no circumstance that I saw in a script that I didn't recognize. Okay, I, I know what that sounds like, feels like, looks like. So that kind of familiarity helped. And I had the, uh, the gift of working with wonderful people. Like Norman had been doing it for a while when I met him. So I yeah. would learn from Norman. I would learn from, I uh, worked with L. Peter Callender, who had been doing this forever. I worked with him. And everything he did, I soaked it up like a sponge. Um, Aldo Billingsley, everything he did, I soaked it up. Uh, Stephen Anthony Jones, I had a chance to understudy under him and also under um, Carl, uh, uh, Carl Lumley. Lumley. Yeah, Carl Lumley. So whenever I had a chance to work with somebody, I'm watching everything they do because I knew I didn't have any formal training. So I'm taking theirs. So their formal training became my formal training. And that's where I got it from. And that's where I learned about beats and, and rhythms and character development and trying to figure out how does this person walk? Or how do they think? Or how do they, what, what motivates them to do this? Why would they say this that way? That kind of thing. So um, I, I picked it all up on the fly. You know, it's interesting getting to you, Norman, my experience, and I'm not sure why I even thought about Foreman in Paris, but I, you know, because sometimes you think, oh my goodness, I'm working with young actors who they don't have a lot of experience on stage. Uh, Oh my goodness, this is going to be really frustrating. But, you know, the very fact that, you know, if an actor can work with another actor who's a veteran, like I think about the relationship between Kim Donovan and Barry. Barry learned a lot from Kim Donovan. And maybe there's a benefit with learning theater on stage, it's almost like on the job training, where you can work with a veteran actor and also, you know, get the, uh, I guess, get a sort of training that you can never have in the classroom. And I think Michael is absolutely right. I, th- I think you're absolutely yeah. right. I think if you have a life experience that you can bring on stage, it's way better than just coming out of the classroom. I, I mean, this is a this is a subject that usually gets juicy when we get here because you are much more interested in what people actually studied and where they studied and how they studied. Yeah. And I honestly do not give a fuck. <laughs> I well, don't. I, you I, tell I, me I, that you studied at ACT, I'm going to sit back and look at you. Because now you just, you just raised the bar. So I need you to clear that bar easily. If all you were doing is what they taught you and you ain't got no brain, nothing, you're not bringing anything to it, I don't know that I can use you. Whereas I love that person who has no training and they jump both feet in. You can jump in and be completely wrong. That's cool. I love your energy. So what we need to do is adjust what you just did. And if they can take that adjustment, man, what they bring, the person, do you know, you know, Vernon, Michael, you must. Vernon Medeiros. Oh yeah. Vernon's fantastic. Yeah. Vernon's got a solo piece we just worked on. Um, that'll be with Afro Solo. Hopefully it's coming out next month. Um, 
Uh, it'll be a series of four solo pieces. It's called Black Men Embracing the Light. Right. And as soon as I get a date, I'll, I'll get a link and all that. But um, I'm working with Vernon. Vernon doesn't have really much training. It's funny but, you brought his name up, Norman, because I was just thinking about him because the last time I believe that the bluest eye was done in the Bay Area was with Lorraine Hansberry and Vernon was in that production. So I was just thinking okay. about him recently as I was preparing for this role. No, Vernon is Vernon is wonderful. He's amazing. He's quick. Yeah. And yet that whole vocabulary of formal theater, you got to be careful when you say, well, so what about the beat? I want to do something with the beats because Vernon will look at you and go, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, and I see it in his eyes. I'm like, I just spoke another language, didn't I? I'm sorry. <laughs> let me let me find out what you need to hear. Well, and he was amazing at the yeah. adjustments he made. Quick, quick. Oh yeah, he's he's he's, he's fantastic. And Nobody. then the energy he brings to it. Nobody else Nobody. can. Nobody else can touch that. They cannot teach that in school. Yeah. yeah. No, you're absolutely right. Now I'm curious as to how people apply what they or if they apply anything they learn in school here, because we're really talking about how you can bring a natural performance, you know, it's just something natural. And, you know, right. if you have a life experience, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I dropped theater cold Turkey, you know, from coming out of school and it, I didn't appear back on stage until I think 2000, when did I do a uh, wonder years of political theater? That was 2005. So I had, you know, a whole life experience that I could bring to the States that I could never have done in the nineties. So yeah, it's the only reason, and I love these back and forth conversations, these back and forth debates about, you know, formal training versus and because they're plus and minuses for both. Yeah. And, and there's no it, right. There's not one way. It's there's all kinds of way to make your way onto the stage to become yeah. an actor. Yeah, because I think there was one um, we had one guest on and she was asking me, I don't think you were on. And she was saying, you know what, you know, when should I? Who was it? It was someone, um, I think it was Carrie Ann Roscoe. She was oh. asking, when do you when do you seek formal training? When do you not seek formal training? And my answer to her, and I don't know if, if the two of you agree, there will be a role that you will have. Someone's going to put a script on your, in your hand and say, can you handle it? And you may not know what to do or how to handle it. And maybe someone who has psychological issues, the character does, or someone who, I don't know, you have to do some research or something like that. But it's going to pull something out of you that you don't know if you have inside of you, although you've been cast. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, when, if anything, formal training may kick in. I mean, that that would be my my answer to anyone, or if you have any bad habits that you need to break out. So, I don't really have a point of reference for that. So, because because if if I had had formal training, then I could say, well, you should do this instead of that, or I would recommend this over that. So I don't really have that point of reference. Yeah, but. Um, I do know that having some life experience for me has proved invaluable because <laughs> for the better or worse, I have been around people that have had serious mental issues or substance abuse issues or emotional issues or, or mental issues. And so having seen that, experienced that and felt that really close, I think that that helps to dig into whatever circumstances thrown at me um, when I get out there. I remember doing a show, um, oh gosh, there will be no Trojan War. Oh, right, you know, uh, Shotgun? Shotgun, did have a shotgun. And Clive yeah. Worsley, man, Clive Worsley, if you guys know Clive. Oh, oh yeah. Oh man, I remember at the first rehearsal, 
that was the first time that I felt like I really got to step my game up because there was something that he just did or said that was so compelling in that moment. I'm like, oh, this is, this is real. I, this is, I, I believed everything he said. And I remember that being a moment where it's like, okay, I got to pay closer attention. And I, I believe Clive has had formal training. I don't know his extensive background, but I believe he had. And so I made it, a, I sponged off of everything that he did as well. And, uh, you know, again, mentors that I've had, man, the people that I've had a chance to follow. I worked with uh, Ella Sebastian Chang and Margot Hall. They co-directed um, Fabulation when I did that with Lorraine Hansberry. Damn. And working with those two, I mean, it was just, I, I still um, feel empowered by that experience. Yeah. Was that the most uh, complicated, um, complex character that you had to do when you um, when you did the, the thing at Shotgun? No, I'd say the most complex character that I ever had to do is when I had to do um, uh, it was a Eugene O'Neill piece that I did out in Danville. And it was uh, oh, God, I can't think of the name of it right now. But um, not great, God Brown, uh, Harry Ape. Um... No, not the Harry Ape. It's uh, oh God. it was Paul Robeson's first role on Broadway. Not Master and, Harold. I mean, not uh, Master Harold. I'm sorry. Um, um, Jones, Emperor Jones. Nope, not Emperor Jones. Um, Aldo actually recommended me for that role. God bless him. Uh, it's, not, it's not coming to me right now. But anyway, the character. Um, now you got me going crazy. Yeah, I'll have to dig it up. So it's, it's set like in 1919. And um, the character is, of course, a young black child who has a crush on a young white girl. And they have this beautiful, young, innocent romance until she becomes race conscious. And then she distances herself from him, it breaks his heart. And he um, has to live with that. So he moves on, he ends up going off to law school and, and trying to develop his own life. He ends up coming home for one summer and she's back. She's gone off. She's married this guy who has abused her. And, um, and the character that I play still is in love with her and decides that they're going to get together and they're going to move out of the country where the racial tension is less um, uh, dangerous. They move to France and she mm. ends up having a nervous breakdown and kind of flips out on him. And he has like disowned his family and the whole thing. That was the most complex character that I think I've ever had to play. And it was difficult and emotionally challenging and all of those things. But I had a point of reference, again, just through life experience that helped me through that. Yeah, I'm looking at that because that's, uh, let's see, Beyond the Horizon, Emperor Jones, uh, Strange Interlude, Desire Under the Elms, Anna Christie, Morning Becomes Electra, Our Wilderness, The Iceman Cometh, Moon from Misbegotten. Oh, it is, it is not coming to me. I cannot think of the name of it. Lazarus name. laughed. Okay, well, we'll figure it out. But no, that is fantastic. Wow, that is, because it reminds me, uh, I mean, it's very similar to the Ethel Fugard piece. Um, well, it's it deals with sort of Master Harold because Master Harold has a young white boy who has a connection, a very intimate, strong connection with, uh, you know, a black character. Right, right, then right. becomes conscious of his, I don't know, his, um, his what do you call it, the white um privilege and right. um abuses it yep but uh, i gotta check that out but yeah no that is that that sounds like that was a powerful piece and that was done what what stage was that done that was in danville man with the with the and i can't think of the name of that either i'm actually pulling up my own dog on resume so. oh oh gosh um it's the one downtown right by the train station 
Right. Is that the theater? That's right. Um, yeah, That's they right. just closed. Did they? I think so, if, if I'm thinking of the right theater. Um, All God's Children Got Wings. Ah. Was well, that okay. the piece? That's, That's the piece? Ah. Okay, yeah. finally, we <laughs> finally got it. Yeah. Let me ask you this, Michael. Um, are you getting out of, and this is something that we ask uh, everyone, are you are you getting the most out of Bay Area theater? Are you a frustrated actor? Are you a satisfied actor? Um, are you a hungry I'm not, actor? I'm not dissatisfied, but I'm hungry. I, I, I want more. I, I, I feel like there's more for me. And I'm not particularly disillusioned with it. Um, and I think that's probably because it still kind of feels new to me. I still feel like I'm learning and growing in it. Uh, so I'm not disillusioned in it. I'm disillusioned in uh, a lot of the shenanigans that are going on around the theater. Right. So that part is disappointing. And, and Can you say and, more about that? Well, I mean, I read the living document. And oh, so yeah. I'm hearing about how people are being, people are being uh, treated. The Eli Orkiza like piece. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I'm reading about how people are being treated or mistreated or or not being treated at all. And uh, I mean, it's just that's got to change. And people right. are uh, stepping forward and being assertive and taking steps to change. it. And I think that that's uh, that's welcome. You don't have to name any names, but did you find yourself going, oh, I know that person or even worse. I know that production. Um. No, I didn't. I, there were some names certainly that I recognized in there, mm. and I was like, "Wow, that's <laughs> that was kind of heavy." But um, I didn't see anything. Um, I didn't see any of the more egregious offenses that people have listed. I didn't mm -hmm. see any of that personally. I've heard about a whole lot of stuff, but mm. for, fortunately, I didn't have to experience it directly. Oh, um, yeah, you. <laughs> yeah, you know, people's truths are their truths. And, you know, I, I, God bless them for, you know, addressing that and doing what you have to do to, to, uh, to uh, change it and correct it. No, it's good that and you have it. it's being discussed. Yeah, now it's being mm -hmm. discussed everywhere. Right. Yeah. Only, the only thing I was going to say is there's something that Norman and I have discussed before. I know for myself, there was a time where I was doing a lot of theater in the Bay Area and I said to myself, okay, I'm on stage a lot, but these are these stories that I want to tell. Is Am I play, taking on roles that represent what I like? And right. after a while, it was like, no, I'm really representing other people's stories or I don't know if I want to be acknowledge for for this i mean i'm i'm thankful for having the job of being cast right. but i really have to make a, a a draw the line to say hey okay let me do this type of theater and let me take more of a an a proactive role in my career did you have did you have to cross that line ever or it sounds like you may have crossed the line almost immediately like it sounds like the roles that you've done have all been roles that you've been very proud of they have been i'm proud of everything that i've done up to this point um <clears throat> There is certainly a, a, a lack of um, variety in roles, oh. I think, for particularly for Black males. Um, but uh, I remember going to a, a seminar at UC Berkeley. This was like in the 80s before I had even thought about acting because I just liked uh, Keenan Ivory Wayans was there. Oh. Um, in Living uh, Color, right on. What's this? Julie Dash was there. And a couple of them, I think, I want to say Reginald Hudlin was there as well. They were like these Damn. people who went on to do like incredible, amazing work. They were all there doing this seminar. And I remember sitting in the room with them and somebody had brought this up about, you know, the roles that people are offering, the roles that people get and, and what can we do about improving that? 
And Keenan Ivory Wayans put his hands on the table and said, make your own. He said, I don't care if you've got like a, a, a Polaroid camera, whatever kind of camera equipment you have, if they're not telling the stories you want to hear, make your own stories. If you do that, then that, that'll, that'll, it'll, it'll happen for you. Yeah, and so and we've seen it. Um, we've seen it borne out time and time again. Time and time again. I haven't gotten there yet. I'm I'm in the process of moving in that direction. Oh, but, um, I totally understand uh, people's frustrations with it. I and, and I know that they're out there. That's the thing. I know that they're out there. And I've seen uh, a wonderful range of roles and characters that, that uh, people can play. People of color mm-hmm. from every walk of life. So I know that it's out there. It's just a matter of doing it and getting it done. Well, it I just like, got, oh, go, go, ahead. Ahead. go ahead, Rich. No, I just want to tap into, you know, it sounds like you're getting more, do you want to produce? Do you want to do either film or do you want to write for the, for the stage? I want to write is what I want to do. I don't, producing that may come later. I, I would, I definitely want to write. I've been writing all my life. And uh, nice. it's just now that I'm starting to kind of put some of my writings together. Mm-hmm. And uh, say, so, you know, I can actually do something with this. This might, this is a story that I think what I, I'd like to, see and be see and have told and that people might actually want to gravitate towards so i'm starting to put that together now i have zero interest in directing but uh that was gonna be one of my questions for you yeah right writing yes uh producing if that opportunity comes along but directing absolutely not (laughs) how did how did you get so sure about that well i was uh i remember um when I first got out of school, I tried to coach. I wanted to coach uh, basketball. I was an athlete right. growing up, and so I wanted to coach. And I coached for about two years, two three years, I think it was, right out of right out of high school. I went back to my old high school, and I coached uh, JV basketball. It was the most frustrating experience I had ever had. Just right. not necessarily dealing with the players, because you know, players I can deal with that on on that level, but dealing with parents, it was all the outside stuff that mm-hmm. came along with that. And I was like, do I have the temperament for this? And uh, I could have done it. And I think that I could have done it well, but it would have sucked my soul and my spirit out because I would have been frustrated all the time. And I said, yep. that, that's, not, that's not for me. Not for it's me. definitely one of the things I've learned in teaching is, so if you want to find out where all the bad singers are, become a singing teacher. <laughs> if you want to find out where the bad actors are, become an acting teacher. And what you learn in order to become a better teacher is that you've got to meet people at whatever level they're at and them where they are. help them move forward. If that fulfills you, then become a teacher. If that just frustrates you like dumbass, really, how many times I got to tell you, take a breath before you say that line. <laughs> It takes awareness. It definitely takes awareness from within. I think anyone who is, you know, like any character or whatever, I mean, I think uh, with acting, you need to have a sense of humility to know, listen, I need to be sort of a blank sleeve, you know, sleeve paper and to approach this from, you know, I think if you, a lot of people have our hangups as to what they think acting is and what they think, you know, being a star is. And I think the more humble you are and you approach the material, um, on an honest level and be honest with yourself, be honest with what you can do and can't do, then I think you, you'll go a lot uh, further. Also, when you're, talk, when you're talking about um, coaching, Richard Harder, you know, he broke out. Remember when we had Richard Harder on? <laughs> Richard's one of the first people I met when I first started. Yeah. Ah, there you go. See, small world. But mm-hmm. yeah, he was, a, he was a football coach for a long time. And then he was like, okay, the hell with it. The parents are driving me crazy, so I can't do it. <laughs> so, <laughs> 
Uh, I was going to say, in terms of um, new work and people making their own shows, that sort of thing. So I've just been asked by Play Cafe to do a workshop. We haven't set a date yet, but sometime this spring, I'm supposed to do a workshop talking to writers. Okay. And I'm like, well, you know, it's such a huge subject. What do you, how do you frame it? So I got some ideas about how I would frame it and, you know, to create an environment for a Q&A session, which is what they're really encouraging. And I'm like, yeah, I don't need to talk for 90 minutes, but I could talk for 20 minutes and see if I can't stimulate some conversation. Yeah. But I thought, what is it that's going to draw them in? And so I've decided that my title needs to be something like um, joining the new, joining the new Western yeah, joining the new Western, um, ah, see, and I don't have a word for it yet, but basically the new um, genre, the new category, the new, this is who we are. Mm -hmm. And that's what, that's what I'm always looking for as a Bay Area theater artist is to remember that it's not that we're doing, you know, Eugene O'Neill or Shakespeare or whatever in some sort of generic way. Nobody needs to see that. The play was done a long time ago we don't need to see that what we need to say is how do we embody this play how does that communicate to our audience now i think for the writer because i never want to tell a writer what to write i know everybody who identifies as a writer has had people come to you and say hey you know what you should write you know what would be a good idea for a story People do that. I hear it all the time. And I'm like, no, actually, writers usually have a lot of ideas about what they want to say. That's right. I want to put it in a framework. I want to ask you as a creator to see yourself as you are here, you are now. And let's label this something. I say we label this as a, as a new movement. And this is now. And I'm just calling it West, New West, or New Western, actually, because I want to push them. I'm in love with, uh, we just watched Good Lord Bird. Uh, we oh, saw yeah. some other historical piece um, with black people. And you can take the whole story of what we know as the West. You can take the whole story and tell it from the point of view of people of color. And we're in every bit of it. You know, okay. Lewis and Clark, we're there. We okay. are, you know, um, what's his name? Um Long Ranger, <laughs> you know, these are all That's black, right. but you can take uh, Native Americans, you can take all the other people who came and got involved, you can tell the same sorts of Western stories that we are used to right. in that motif. Oh, and yeah. I'm going to, that's what I'm going to put out to these writers. I'm like, I'm going to tell you to do this. And then I'm going to tell you when you do it and somebody picks it up that you say that you are part of this new movement. And let's see if we can't in the next two or three years get people going, oh, well, oh, that's part of the new Western movement. Oh, damn. I want to see what that is. It doesn't matter what you have to say. <laughs> if you could just put it in that framework, yeah, I'm going to try and help you sell it. I remember when I did um, Day of Absence with Lorraine Hansberry and mm. uh, Douglas Turner Ward came our opening weekend. Oh, really? And, oh, yeah. He, was, he came our opening weekend. And I remember um, he was talking about when people are creating their seasons. He says, you can take any one of the 10 plays from his Negro Ensemble Theater, put it up on stage and it would hold up. He yep. said, because they're universal stories. He said, there are black people in them, yes. He said, but the stories are universal. Everybody can connect to it. Yeah, and that's one of the problems that people want me to think about. 
minority theater or you know theater that deals with a particular genre or a particular group of people well this is a asian story you know let's say crazy rich asians that will appeal to the asian community or i don't know some uh play by um we just did a bunch of huh golden thread the uh, middle eastern theater company right right, exactly yeah or the arabian shakespeare well they're not the arabian shakespeare company anymore but um but i think i honestly think we have to break out of that mentality i mean you know i can go to let's say a Latino theater and see something that will still appeal to me or connect to me, or someone can see a black play or let's say a play that has a black person in it and still it can be universal. And I think you're absolutely right. I think we need to have plays which will have minority characters in it and will tell, let's say an aspect of their story, but it's still universal so that it can appeal to everyone. Well, and I know that all these writers I'm gonna talk to are gonna be mostly white. I know they are. Yeah, yeah. I will talk to them about diversity and inclusivity. I will, but we'll see how much it's instead just say, Are you going to tell this story that includes me? Yeah. And speaking of that, so Michael, I mean, as far as you know, I know that you have it now. You've been working with Playground. As a matter of fact, you and I know each other because you were in my play, Woodhull and the Jailer. But, um, it's have you submitted at least one or two? Yeah, (laughs) Have have you submitted any pieces to Playground? I have not yet. It is, it is on my to-do list, but I have not submitted yet. Yes. So what would be, I mean, because, you know, as a writer, I mean, I've written a bunch of one acts and I've written, you know, Foreman in Paris. And I've thought about, okay, what type of a writer is Reg Clay? What type of a story, when people see a Reg Clay play, what are they going to see? And I've had to think about that. You know, what is my, I don't know, genre or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I've had that in my mind. What about you? When, if people, someone were to see a Michael Ashbery production, either written by you or, you know, it, it just, you are in it. What, what do you want to convey? What type of theater do you want to convey to the public? Oh God, see, I don't know that yet. Um, I don't know. So there's, there's so many stories that I kind of want to tell and they're so spread out, I think, across the, uh, the spectrum. Um, I was an athlete. So that's, that's a perspective that I certainly explore in my writing. Um, I was uh, a reader as a child which was different than from some of the other kids in my neighborhood. So the fact that I love to read a lot um, was different from other kids that I grew up with. So there's kind of that nerd aspect that, that I experienced growing up that's different from a lot of other kids that were in my neighborhood. Um, I um, uh, Single parent household, that's not the most different thing that anybody ever has gone through, but that's a perspective that I would also explore. Uh, father-son relationship, I had a strong relationship with my father, even though my parents were not together, which is different than a lot of people. I've heard people talk about such adversarial relationships they had with their fathers, and it breaks my heart because I never had that. Mm-hmm. And so that that's a different perspective that I would probably that I'll probably explore at some point. So I don't know that there's uh, I could say there's a Michael Asbury play. This is what you can look forward to. I, I don't think I'm, I'm certainly not there yet because I haven't put it together. Uh, in a cohesive form, but I'm sure that it will be all over the place. I mean, I love comic books and ah, yay. I collected- uh, <laughs> Along with Norman. <laughs> I collected sports car. I mean, I got, I got my Black Panther t-shirt on right now. I mean, I was, right I was a Marvel kid. I love DC. When Superman came out, my brother and I were like losing our minds. It, it, there's a yeah. whole lot. Now, is that the old Superman or Christopher Reeve or the new one? Oh, the old super, old school Superman, man. Christopher Reeve. Yeah, you uh, you know you can believe a man can fly. Yeah, yeah, yeah man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, that new guy. I try to give him credit, and he does get. A, I see critically, he gets a lot of credit, and I'm like, 
I'm not feeling it. This looks like constipated Superman to me. He always <laughs> he's got this expression on his face all the time. I'm like, dude, yeah. And I don't, I don't think he, the as an actor, I don't think he liked it either because remember he, uh, he had another role set up and he was like, look, I'm, I'm tired of doing Superman, and they oh, wanted you him think to. About, you think about Christopher Reeve? No, 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 no. This is the newer actor. This oh, the is new the, guy. Uh, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. They, because he, he was, he was, he signed up to do a movie, and he had a, a, a must, a mustache on. Oh yes, that's right. right. I saw that. I saw and that. they were like, no, 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 no. We, we got to have you shave that off because we want you to be Superman for another movie. He's like, the hell with that. I'm not doing it. So. <laughs> It's it's int- go ahead. It's interesting how actors, you know, that we, you know, people want to put you in the, you know, the role or you know whatever box you're in. It's like, hey, this is your box. This is your thing. That's, that's a nice like, situation to be in. No Superman, and then you can say like, I'm not doing Superman. I'm going to do something else. That, that's right. <laughs> that's <laughs> right. Not a bad no, spot. no, and I've never asked you this. I don't think I've ever asked you this, but as as a director, what, um, what um, what am I trying to say? What do, you, what do you convey? What do you want to convey to an audience when they see a Norman G directed show, whether it be like one of the mm-hmm. uh, the playground pieces or, you know, let's say a full length piece? Um, well, you know, uh, so when I took on the identity of director, the number one thing I hated when I was watching plays coming up as an actor um, was when a director seemed to want to make the play their thing not serve the play and they might i i i love to have a take on what the play is and i want to serve that to the audience that's what i want to do um but to feel like you are almost intentionally mangling the play you are taking the play in a different direction than the play was ever intended to be and that i found that to be frustrating um so what i found was i what i want to do and I was just thinking about this yesterday. I want to connect the dots. So I want to be, and I, it's funny, I love like all those newspaper puzzles. I, I love those things. Some of them are so simple, but they can be so enjoyable. I want my audience to have that experience, like the connect the dots. I would like to make the connect the dots. And then I want to see if my audience will make all those links as we get through. We were watching, oh, good Lord Bird. Uh, the penultimate episode. I won't give anything away, but this character goes to leave and Mara's like, wait a minute. They didn't cover this one point. And I said, well, you know, it doesn't really matter. They don't need to. And then that became a turning point. You know, that was the cliffhanger. I was like, wow, you were paying attention to that. That's what I like is I want to serve up something that an audience can feel like they're engaged in. I'm teaching this directing workshop now. And I'm actually using, here it is. Understanding, Understanding comics. comics. Do you know this one, Mike? I don't. Understanding Comics by Scott McCloud. He wrote Zot way back in the day. Oh, oh my God. <clears throat> this is this brilliant, and it's a comic book. It's a graphic novel that breaks down everything about how comic books are made. Okay. I'm using a chapter to teach my students because there is that, there's what you see what you fill in, what you don't see, if I suddenly pick up something to have a drink, you assume that there's a table here because I didn't I didn't go all over to do it. On the other hand, if I go to get it, you know, there are all these things that you do within a frame, and that's one of the wonderful things about having to work on Zoom. I purposely shaped my class in this direction to say, you've got to remember that this is not a limitation. You are still creating a whole world for your audience 
Now, the way you relate to that world, if I put my mom there, oh, mom, you know, there doesn't need to be somebody there. There just needs to be me relating to it. And my audience will put that together. So right. that's that's my thing. I'm not trying to make a signature thing in the sense of if you saw Four Men in Paris and then you saw my Wind in the Willows, I don't need you to go, oh, God, that's the same director. I would like you to go, oh, Norman G is doing something. I want to go see it because I sat there the whole time, not the whole time, hopefully, but I sat there going, how is that going to work? And then when it came together, I love it when people come up to me after a show and say, you know, that one moment when this happened, I thought, oh, hell. And then and I and I just sit there smiling because they're telling me, like, I didn't know this is happening. Like, I didn't realize that was going to happen. I'm like, well, you know, I kind of set up that cliff <laughs> and then I set up that rope knowing that you would jump on it and take that ride with me. That's what I want. Yeah. 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 And, and that's a sign of a great director to, you know, to know what the dots are and putting them together and also interacting with actors and talking with different actors from different walks of life and all that stuff. One question I had for you, Michael, um, have you had, what are some of the interactions you've had with the directors? Have you had some good directors? Have you had some bad directors? Um, I was going to say, I'm glad you're bringing this up. I'm like, Michael, you could totally put me on the spot on this. Cause <laughs> I, when I know I'm going to work with Michael, I'm like, I have known Michael forever. I've seen Michael's work. Um, Damn. Okay, that gives me an idea of where I think I can go, and then I'll say, Mike, what about this? And he's like, Well, well, maybe. But um, what I was kind of thinking was, I was thinking I would do it this way, and I'm sitting there going, Oh, uh, yeah, that that's what's going to happen. Yes. Oh, nice. So you're sort of a collaborator with the director. I mean, that takes a lot of. Uh, well, do you... that's my side of it. I don't know his side. Yeah, <laughs> tell, tell, tell me about your interactions with the direct the directors you've worked with. Well, that that's that's the that's the style that I prefer. I prefer a collaborative effort as opposed to a, a dictatorship. It's like you know, here's how this has to go, blah blah blah, which kind of speaks to what Norma was just talking about. How some directors will try to put their stamp on a production so that they can say, "Yes, I directed that. This is my." direction. This is my production. And I guess there's a place for that. And I've worked with directors who operate that way and have had some success doing it. Yeah. But if given a choice, I wanted to, and there's always a choice. I mean, you can just like, I'm not doing this. Right. <laughs> but, whether you say it or not. Yeah. yeah. Whether you say it or not, you know, but, um, but I prefer a collaborative uh, environment because I think that better serves the story when everybody wants the same goal. I think that better serves the story. Uh, I've had some wonderful directors. I've had some not so wonderful directors. Um, but again, um, the preference is to be with somebody who's going to be collaborative in the work. And I think as you wanted you mentioned something a moment ago about um, uh, I guess it's just serving the story is basically what I'm trying to say. Just as a director, as a producer, as an actor, if the effort is to serve the story and to tell the story, then we're all doing our job. But if everybody wants to put their own personal mark on it, yeah, that I think I think takes away from the entire uh, experience. And so um, my goal as an actor, and um, when I'm in a production, is to serve, tell the story, support my fellow cast members, and and to uh, respect the director's vision. What is it? What is it that you're trying to get to? If you can get to that, and I can help you get there, what do I have to do to get to that? And let's do it. You know, one question that I have, and I know we're getting to the one-hour mark, and I want to be respectful for people's time. I had there was one director I work with, and who basically says, "Listen, I'm going to give you a direction. Trust me. 
just trust me and just to see if it works. And nobody understood why we were doing this. And maybe it was may have been an exercise or something like that. And as listening to the two of you talk about the collaborative effort, you know, you want to have the director and the actor sort of work together to, you know, create a story that's living on the stage and the actors know what they're doing, why they're doing it. And everything works because everyone understands what's going on. But every now and then you get a director who, I don't know, is they have an idea in their heads and they're like, let's just try it and let's see if it works. And I just want you to, you don't understand why I'm, do, why I'm asking you to do it, but just do it. Mm-hmm. Does that work or does that not work? I mean, um, what do you think? Well, you've seen me do that. I did that with Four Men in Paris. Yeah. Um, but I will say first, I can think of a director and he's not in the Bay Area anymore and I am so grateful he's not. Because <laughs> I saw a production of his and he made his whole cast do this crap. I saw two different productions. One I saw and I stopped him afterwards. And I said, I'm just wondering, there's this moment where there was this light bulb, there was a bare light bulb hanging off of the, um, the you know, middle of the stage. And every now and then it would get brighter and it would go down. I couldn't see any rhyme or reason to that, but sometimes it seemed significant. And I said, was that supposed to be like that? And my question really wasn't, was it supposed to be something? It was, I was kind of confused whether you were doing that intentionally or not. And his answer was, yeah like gleeful he was gleeful and i'm like i'm telling you i was confused about your play and you're happy fuck you but um you saw my probably the worst example of that in four men in paris was the party scene where we had no set (laughs) i had to create a party in the middle of this play where there was no room to bring in and get rid of a party set so i decided i was going to do it based on a butler on a little with a little rolling cart um and he's serving everybody and that was going to make my party put party glasses in everybody's hands mix them around the stage i kept pushing them here and there and left and right we had three rehearsals where we worked on that and it was the third rehearsal where the light bulb started going off and the actors started going oh and started making their own choices because they fully understood what i was going for and for the most part i was like unless it got in the way of something i was like Y'all, go ahead, do you. But what I started with, they were confused as hell. Wait, before you say that line, I need you to get to the other side of the stage. Do it sometime in this window. You see if you can feel it out. (laughs) Go back. Let's do that. And I, for that one rehearsal, I just kept pushing them to do it my way. Mm -hmm. And it eventually worked, but I knew. I purposely had set up in the rehearsal process that I was going to give them a couple of times where I was going to push. And then I was hoping by the second time, third time, I'd start to see them understand. Otherwise, I was going to have to try and do something else. <laughs> no, I appreciate. And just before I, you know, get your answer, Michael, because, you know, in, in my mind, I was going to have everyone sit on a couch, but that would have been horrible because, you know, we're, you know, oh. nothing worse than having an audience watching a bunch of cast members sitting on stage <laughs> talking for 10 minutes. See, that's why that's why you're the director. And <laughs> but uh, there was one production I was involved in and the uh, director had the actors act like amoebas and then do the scene like the amoeba part part of it was sort of the transition from one scene to the next none of the actors understood what why they were doing it and what context it had to the play and the director was like listen i don't care just do it anyway it's gonna work and one actor quit um so uh, so michael one question i mean have you had a director just say listen just do it just trust me and you know no collaboration just you know whatever um 
I'm sure that that's been suggested in a rehearsal. Uh, I don't know that it was like a permanent decision like for a production that I can recall that happened. But I've certainly had directors say, okay, let's just try it. We're gonna try it this way. Just, just trust me on this. Let's try it this way. But you and, all... Which I, I don't have a problem with that at all. So I, I make a point. Well, actually, it's, it's not even conscious. I just go into a show knowing that I don't know everything that there is to know about this play. <laughs> and that there's gonna be suggestions and ideas and circumstances that come up that uh, are gonna be new to me. And so trying something differently is not something that I would like push back against unless it feels completely and totally wrong. And I remember fighting for um, a, a motion, a character move in a play one time that's not in the script at all. And it didn't detract from the scene as I saw it. And the director was like, why did you do that? You can't do that. It doesn't say anything anywhere in here that you do that. And I was like, well, it also doesn't say that it doesn't. And I explained my position and we went back and forth for a minute because I think uh, another part of it is that if you are really committed to the character that you're playing, then you know some things about your character's personality and, and their how they move in the world. Mm -hmm. And we went back and forth with it. And eventually that director said, you know what? You're right. Keep that. And uh, that's the kind of collaboration, not necessarily because he came around to my way of thinking, but that he considered it and that we were able to have a discussion about it and that, you know, right or wrong, that's the way we went. I've had experiences where I, I thought I should be doing something that was totally wrong and we didn't do that. So I'm, I'm on both sides. You know, I, can, I can take it as well as I can give it. Yeah, I think it's important for an actor to feel that they have the freedom to say, hey, listen, can I try this? Can I try that? without, you know, fear of a director snapping at them, at them or whatever, because, you know, once you've learned the script and once you have a, a hold of the character, then, you know, you can sort of see things that maybe the director or even the writer, you know, doesn't necessarily see. Right. So I think, I think an actor should always have the, the freedom to say, hey, listen, I don't know, can you explain why we're doing this? Or I have an idea. I want to, you know, there has to be that, that open line of communication. Yeah, yeah. All I right. It always exists, but it, it is... Uh... I would prefer that, given the yeah, practice. yeah, exactly. One last question before we uh, close things up: um, Where do you see yourself in the future? I don't know, five, ten years from now. Oh boy, that's an interesting question. Um, working, you know, my whole, uh, my whole, you know, get, my whole goal when I got into this was just to do it. It wasn't like to reach like this level of fame and you know be the marquee name at the you know the theater. That was never my goal. My goal was just to do it. I enjoyed doing it so much that that's what I want to continue to do. And uh, whatever medium, I love the stage. Uh, I had to grow to love it because I was scared to death of it when I started. So I love the stage. I've loved the film and TV work that I've done. I love the voiceover work. And so I'm just trying to, it's, if I, I'm gonna do it for as long as I can. If I can do a Cicely Tyson and at 96, Hey, hey! People are still yeah. appreciating what I do, and then I die peacefully. I won, so that's so you uh, got your voice voiceover set up there. Yeah, I got uh, yeah my uh, pop filters right here, and uh, <laughs> set up here. So I got a little something set up. Yeah, I, you got your I, condenser mic and all that stuff. Still you, not you, what I want. I'm yeah. you mentioned film. I mean, what what film stuff have you done? Because we'd love to link, you know, folks to some of the stuff that you've done if it's online. Oh man! Are, just, you, are uh, you getting involved in this blind spotting thing? No, not yet, not yet. But I'm hoping that that's going to come. Um, let's see. I got to get my resume now. 
Uh, what did I do? I did, um, I just did a film last year uh, that's going to be coming out in April called Freebird. And uh, that was fun. And I did, uh, I had a chance to get a little scene in San Andreas with The Rock, the earthquake movie a few wow. years ago. And so that was fun. And I uh, did a movie called uh, Chasing Rodriguez, where um, I played like a, a former action hero uh, who's helping his kid uh, solve this crime, who's happening to catch, he's a young filmmaker and he's trying to um, make a movie. And uh -huh. in the course of making his movie, he, video, he, he films a crime in progress. And so he tries oh. to solve it, and I helped him try to solve his crime. So that was fun. So a bunch of stuff, man. The um the earthquake movie. What did you do in that? Because we uh, just earthquake saw it a year ago, New Year. Dodging, dodging falling debris and running away from you know and and, and moving. We car. took a bike ride. I think it was uh, New Year's last year. Um, we took a bike ride over the Richmond Bridge. No, it wouldn't have been there because the bridge wasn't open yet. We did it one time last year. Went over the Richmond Bridge. We get over to the other side. We go to this little taqueria, Guatemalan taqueria. <laughs> Nobody's speaking English that, you know, there's lots of people who don't speak English. And we get our little stuff and we sit down and on the TV, I didn't even know the movie existed. But there was them riding around and people, ah! It was fun, man. It was, it was some of the most fun that I've ever had doing this because it was just you're playing, you know, like you're in an earthquake. Right. And the effects, man, with like the cars on hydraulics and the cars are actually like jumping up and down. Damn. And okay, now the ground is moving right here. So, you know, you got to move with the ground. And we had to go huddle up under this, this uh, corner and then they dropped like rocks and stuff down on it. It was crazy. Wow. <laughs> wow. Great. Great way to, that's a great way to earn a paycheck. That now that's fantastic. <laughs> All right, well, Michael, uh, thank you so much, and uh, let's let's get into shoutouts, birthdays. Um, I and I feel bad about this. It's my brother's birthday. I didn't even realize. Happy birthday, James brother. James, happy birthday. <laughs> and it'll be great for me to um to let him know. He sits around. He's retired, um, younger than me, but he's retired already. And uh, and he sits around watching Fox News way too much. But um, anyway, he might actually listen to this. Happy birthday, James. Uh, Robert Henry Johnson's birthday is today. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, we should probably try and get Robert on at some point. But boy, <laughs> that'll be an adventure. Uh, PJ Phillips is somebody I met when I was at the Willows back when Concord used to have a theater called the Willows. That's right. That's right. And, uh, and she was just in the chorus. And now she's got a singing career going like crazy. Yeah. Uh, Pamela Ellen, who was Pamela Rosen back in the day, is, uh, is actually a um, Oakland Public Theater alum. She got to do one of our shows with us. Uh, and this one is actually for last week. I missed it last week. Told Tony Alderondo, um, amazing, wonderful um, performer. He does a lot of spoken word stuff these days. Uh, Becky Hirschfield is somebody who I don't actually know through theater. We met through modeling, but for one of the first things she said to me was, oh, you do theater too. Her birthday's this week. Kevin Hammond uh, directed me in Hamlet when I, that I did with the Arabian Shakespeare, who is now the Perspective Theater Company. Um, Miki Hirabayashi Bellon is um, somebody who's really important in the theater world, a producer. Uh, she helped us get a show up down at San Jose stage, uh, Jeannie Baroga's uh, Buffaloed. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw that. Yeah. Show. yeah, that was, thanks. That was wonderful. Steven Ortiz, um, somebody I went to college with. I cannot work with Steven too much. I love working with him. 
Uh, Laura Derry is an improviser, um, and she and I have been working together for many years at Nueva, the uh, private school that I teach at in the spring. She's been part of the theater cadre that comes in every spring, and she stepped away. She moved farther north now. She's farther up in Sonoma, and she's not going to do any of that anymore. So still, it's her birthday this week. Uh, a couple more. Jessica Powell who was King Lear in SF Shakes, King Lear last summer. Um, and Jessica's somebody I know because her husband, Jack, um, I got to do a show with. And then I found out his wife was this incredible woman. And I was like, wow, what a, what a power team they are. And yeah. finally, Sean O'Neill. Sean O'Neill gets a special shout out. He is, I think, currently the principal or vice principal at a school out near Sacramento. I think he's now in West Sac. Um, teaching theater, but well, now he started out teaching theater. Now he's like either principal or vice principal. Um, but he gets a special shout out because he was the first white boy in the African American Shakespeare Company. <laughs> and we loved Sean. We would get Sean and stuff, and Sean was willing to do anything. And he was this gorgeous, you know, he's just, he's one of them pretty young men. But we would make him do all kinds of goofy shit. Like, you know, it's going to be the black guy that's going to be the romantic lead in this. You're going to be the other guy. <laughs> You're going to be the guy that doesn't get the girl. <laughs> or you're going to be the landlord. That's who you're going to be. At least he's and not lynching lynch nobody. <laughs> that it? That it for you? Yep, that's mine. Okay, I know you saved Rondrell McCormick for me. So uh, <laughs> his birthday will be tomorrow. And that was nice. Uh, it was a nice little, uh, we, uh, you gave a little shout out to him on the A and he responded and uh, he's doing some great things in L.A. So we say uh, happy birthday to him. His birthday's tomorrow. And directing at um, San Diego. Wow. He's, he's got some kind of directing thing. At San, I think it was just a development piece, but whatever it was, he got his foot in that door. <laughs> yeah. Also, Wednesday, Bridget Dutta Portman. She is a absolutely fantastic writer. I still remember her little one-act piece, Mr. The Bear, which uh, was at the, um, the, oh, shucks, what is that? Um, the, the, the Playwright Center for San Francisco. But in any case, uh, and she's done a bunch of stuff just all over the Bay Area, and she's just amazing. And um, so her birthday is Wednesday. Did I have one more? The only one more thing that's on Saturday, uh, a week from now, is uh, another uh, Ellington alum. That's uh, Nicole Prescott, and she's doing some uh, great work. She's actually in film in LA. And uh, so I want to say happy birthday to Nicole Prescott. And that's it. Those, that's a really short list I have. Any shows you want to uh, advertise? And yeah, if you got any, Michael, feel free to jump in. But um, I have one um, from last week's birthdays. Come on, where is it? Um, and this was at, this was just done last week, but it's the beginning of a thing. It's through Maskers, William Shakespeare's Tragical History of Frankenstein. And it's um, um, Alan Coyne is in it. Right on. I haven't heard yeah. his, that name in a long time. So they are doing, I guess, chapters. I was trying to read through what it says. It's, they're doing a, what does it say? Best, I'm not sure. Um, it sounds like they're doing a series of this, so they're breaking it up. And so last week is when it started. Or not last week, yesterday <laughs> was when it started. So I'm going to throw the um, link in the, the chat so you can get it, Ridge. Yeah, also text it to me because a lot of times when I close okay. out this thing, I uh, I lose the chats. But yeah, I will text we, it. <clears throat> yeah, we definitely want to advertise that. I wish I had some other shows. Uh, folks, if you're watching, please let us know what shows you want to advertise because a lot of times I'm just jumping on Instagram and Facebook and just seeing what you know what shows are out there. 
But uh, the only thing that I'm working on, Dragon Eggs, they're doing their next series of one acts, and I will be moderating. And I think I'm I'm in one of their shows that Kimberly Ridgeway will be has written. Kimberly Ridgeway, she's been on a tear. She's doing uh, so many stuff. And uh, matter of fact, maybe I can online. I'm saying if I can do it real quick because she emailed us. And oh, did she have something? Yeah, she uh, basically was pushing a lot of. uh, Hold on for a second. I'm sure I can do a. Uh, uh, Michael, are you doing the next playground? Uh, I haven't been asked yet. So. Uh, they might just be casting, and I'm still waiting to hear if I'm directing. <clears throat> so I'm not going to put it out there until I know what I'm doing. <laughs> uh, that's I agree. That's yeah. how I did though. <laughs> okay, I've got the list right here. So this is what Kimberly Ridgeway is working on, and I really want to keep on pushing her because she's just an amazing actress, director, writer. She's just all over the place. So, Fantasy Theater oh, Factory. Oh, her solo piece. Uh, yes, Factory Theater Factory from February the 19th to March the 18th is doing The Stop. Uh, that is a play written by Kimberly Ridgeway. Um, the three pieces that I wrote are being featured in up- upcoming virtual performances. All of these are free. Donations accepted, of course. So that's that. And she has a YouTube link. So I'll, I'll push that. Also, and this is uh, Soulmate, so that's the one that I'm in. Uh, written by her, directed by Sean J. West, a friend of ours. He's been on the uh, the yeah. Dragon Productions, and I'll have a link. That'll be February the 21st. March the 21st will be The Contract, also written by Kimberly Ridgeway, directed by Brishana, Brishana? Brishana Crosby. Hmm. And that'll be the third installation of uh, Dragon Productions. They do it once a month. So Playground, they do their thing, and Dragon Productions, they're doing their thing as well. So um, it's fantastic. It's amazing. I was talking to a friend of mine who was not involved in theater. It's like, wow, you must, you know, it's supposed to be hard, you know, because you're not on stage. I'm like, wow, I can't tell you how much work I'm getting just via Zoom. Right. (laughs) Uh, So it's wonderful that theater is still active, even even, uh, with uh, the fact that we can't get on stage. So that's fantastic. And Michael, are you working on anything soon? Uh, yeah, start rehearsals. Uh, I think I mentioned earlier for the Bluest Eye with uh, Aurora Theater, and we uh, start rehearsals next week, about two weeks from now. Directed by Dawn? Is it directed by Dawn? Directed by Dawn Monique Williams. Uh, right on. Sam Jackson, Kathleen Ridley, uh, Janae Simon, and uh. Milan Williams. Got a great cast, man. I'm look, look, looking forward to it. Can't wait. Yeah, yeah, I'm dying to. I'm I'm trying to get Janae Simon on. Uh, you know, she's it's you know she's Ooh, a, she she's was a, in the last playground. Holy cow! She's Jeez. an amazing she's an amazing man. talent. I acted with I mean, her. I've been waiting to work with her, man, since uh, I saw her do a show at uh, Theater First. Yeah. And, yes. Yes. And I'm a dying. I'm like, I, I hope I get to work with her at some point. And so we that's what I, I was like, man. I, I was it was because it was playground and it's all on Zoom, and I have her number. I just went to chat. I'm like, Janae, <clears throat> I want to work with you. Yeah. Yeah, and I've been trying to get her on the A, but she's she's shy. I mean, she's I mean, she's magnificent on stage, but uh, I guess she doesn't doesn't want to reveal a lot of herself. But I acted with her. We did a Civil War Christmas. She was Elizabeth. Right. Kennedy. I think that's the first time I saw her. Yeah, yeah. All righty. Well, it's a wonderful afternoon, so I want to, you know, uh, let you guys go. Uh, Thank you so much. Michael, did you enjoy yourself? I did, man. Thank you guys for having me. It's a pleasure to spend the afternoon with you guys. It's almost like having company, so thank you. (laughs) There you go. The last time I saw Michael, uh, not saw, the last time I saw Michael in life, (laughs) I was delivering a prop to him, and he came out his door with his arms up, and I'm like, Michael, that's (laughs) Clearly, <laughs> clearly, I've been I, home alone too long. So, 
I, I missed that. I missed it. I missed giving someone a hug and just the I physical do, interaction. Man. Yeah. yeah. Saving it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we're growing up that way. But in any case, yeah, no, no, this is a fantastic gay episode. And, you know, it's really cool. And for those who are listening, so next, so February, the month of February will be dedicated to love and to couples who have met via theater. And so that will be our, I don't even know what we would call the uh, the episodes or the sessions, the love, love. sessions. <laughs> love, you know, love at the yay. Love so, in the age of COVID. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, next well, week. And I also want to throw in a yes. uh, Black History Month. I, I do want to throw in some sort of acknowledgement of that. So I'll, I will work on that. I will just make sure we get a little blurb about that. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And we'll push, you know, any shows. I'm sure there'll be a bunch of uh, Black History uh, related shows involved. And so we want to focus on that as well. So next week, we're going to have a Philippine couple, uh, Chuck Laxon and Julie Corbara. Uh, They have been involved in theater for such a long time and they met, fell in love. And uh, I I consider them a super couple. They're so talented and we're glad to have them next week. So that's what's happening. You guys are watching this uh, via YouTube. Um, please like and subscribe and let us know what you like or don't like about the yay. Um, and, you know, give us a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Let us let us know what you like or don't like. For those who are listening traditionally on the podcast, you can listen to uh, the yay on all podcast apps, uh, that purple podcast app on your iPhone or iPad, or even on iTunes. And we're also on Spotify. If you are an Android user, you can use the SoundCloud app or just go on soundcloud.com and you'll find us. The Yay was created by theater people for theater people. If you have a show you want to advertise, or if you just want to advertise yourself, let us know. Hit us up. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I'm at Red Space Clay. And I'm at Hoosier Hoosier. Michael, do you have any uh, social media stuff that people can reach you at? Yeah, uh, Michael J. Asbury on Facebook and Michael J. Asbury altogether on Instagram. Right on. And that is, if you're looking for a great actor with that magnificent voice, you can't go wrong with Mike Lashbury. Thank you so much. And as Norman and I always say, we, we got to find, find a better, better sign off. off. And we are out. <laughs> <laughs>